Dynasty Blueprint with Matt Williamson and Ryan McDowell. Welcome into another edition of the Dynasty Blueprint. I'm your host, Ryan McDowell, joined as always by Matt Williamson. Matt, how are things this week? Things are great. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Many camps are wrapped up. So now we enter, I guess, what's what's probably going to feel like a, a long lull in, in the NFL news. It's really only about a month, I guess, until training camps kick off. Right, right around the corner. A little bit of a lull, but that's nice. I, I need the break and um, hope really only thing, any news you basically hear this time of year is going to be bad. So hopefully yeah. there's not too much of that. <laughs> that's what I was, that's what I was going to say as well. Yeah. Hopefully it's, it's just a quiet month and then we get, uh, we get camp kicked off. Matt, since, uh, since it is kind of that quiet period, we've had a lot of rookie talk the past few weeks. We're going to move over uh, and talk about some startup draft strategy. We yeah. brought on a good friend of mine. We've got Aton Mosia. Uh, Aton is the co-host of the Dynasty Diagnostic, also the lead Dynasty writer at Fantrax. Aton, how are you? Hey, man, I am doing absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Uh, like I said um, just a few minutes ago, when we're uh, before we started recording, uh, this is a this is a show that I've been listening to for a while now, and and being on it is uh, kind of seeing it from the other side is a little surreal for me. Oh, it's high tech. It's it's pretty yeah. pretty intense stuff. I was going to say, probably, probably not as impressive either. <laughs> All right. You don't want to know how the sausage is made. Trust me. <laughs> hey, man, it comes out good. It comes out good. <laughs> well, we're glad to have you on. We are, as I said, going to talk about some dynasty startup strategy. Uh, the three of us have actually uh, taken part in a, a quick dynasty startup mock draft, at least the, the first five rounds of one of those. We'll talk about how our teams ended up, some some of the specific picks uh, throughout those five rounds. Uh, Aton, before we get into that, talk to us just about some of your general dynasty strategy in a startup draft. I know you were mentioning uh, before we got started about some recent drafts you have done. What are just some of your general team building uh, tips or strategies that you try to follow? Well, I mean, that's that's a little bit of a tough question just because I do kind of adapt my draft strategy um, to the room. It's kind of something that you do have to do in every draft that you're in. But um, for me, at the top of the startup, um, kind of just like everywhere else or everyone else, uh, first four picks, it's pretty easy. It's, it's one of those top four running backs, at least if you're not in a super flex. Um, beyond that, uh, then it gets a little bit more interesting. And I'm, I'm one of the guys that's more open to uh, shifting completely to wide receiver and to, to kind of building up my running back group a little bit later on in the draft if, if that presents itself. And the reason that I do that is just because um, there's a little bit more predictability in uh, having wide receivers on your team for the long haul. A running back, a new person added to that backfield can completely change uh, pretty much everything uh, that you, you would assume about uh, that person's workload. Uh, but a new wide receiver coming onto a team uh, doesn't often have that same effect on the veteran wide receivers on that team. And so for that reason, I feel that uh, there's a little bit more safety in going with them than going with the running back outside of those top four. I think it's a really good point, especially about how if you draft a, a receiver in the second round, a team does, it doesn't necessarily sway the balance of power all that much from the guys you already had or thought you had a feeling of. I think that's a good way you said that. Yeah, I think so as well. Of course, we, we all know that several years ago that the entire, really it felt like the entire dynasty community shifted towards building around wide receivers. 
Um, and, and a lot of that had to do with just the lack of talent at the running back position at that time. But some of the other reasons haven't gone away, even though we've got we've had this influx of talent at the running back position. And some of the things that you mentioned there are still true when comparing running backs and wide receivers. So uh, while it's well, it's certainly nice to have one of those cornerstone backs to build around if you have a top three or four pick. Uh, there's there's absolutely no shame in grabbing a, a first round wide receiver and going from there. Uh, again, looking at strategy years ago, it's it seems like there was a lot of variation in the way uh, people would build teams. And I, I was tweeting about this uh, last week. I think it's I think it's actually become simpler now. It seems like every every dynasty player is essentially trying to either win now and is not afraid of taking those veterans. Uh, even maybe early in the draft, or they're um, they're playing to win, maybe in year two, punting, productive struggle, whatever you want to refer to it as. And, and I know, Aton, you said you like to adapt to the room, which is uh, w- which is a smart move. But in general, which one of those are you? Are you trying to win in year one and beyond, or are you patient and and maybe looking towards younger players and draft picks? I do look towards younger players um, where it makes sense to look towards younger players. But, I mean, I am categorically against the idea of of team productive struggle. I I don't believe in it at all because oftentimes you end up building this, you know, roster that looks nice on paper. And then three years down the line, it still looks nice on paper, but you have no championships to your name (laughs) uh, to kind of uh, make with it. So I really do think that the best strategy is is a combination of both of those things. You want to have some... Uh, volume that you can predict uh, is going to be there for you this season. Um, But at the same time, you don't want to have an entire team full of guys that are going to be a lot less than they are today, two years from now. So I think it's, it's, it's kind of productive struggle with the intent to have at least a solid base of players. That's going to get you through those first couple of seasons. Yeah, and, and that's really probably the way it should be. And I don't know. Sometimes in the in the fantasy community, it seems like we we just want to argue, just to argue. And, and maybe maybe that's one of the results of that uh, that summer lull I was talking about earlier in the show. But uh, I I think obviously I think productive struggle has its merits, and certainly there's nothing wrong with winning now. But the the answer probably is exactly what you said, lying somewhere in the middle. Uh, grab those players that can contribute right away, but also uh, stockpile and build for the future. What about your strategy regarding moving around in a startup draft, trading up, trading down uh, again, maybe targeting those, uh, those future picks. I know, especially that's been a, a popular strategy this year with the 2020 draft and that that class already getting a lot of hype. What's your general plan of attack with that? See, this answer in theory versus this answer in practice are almost two completely separate things because, of course, theoretically, um, you always want to move back. You always want to acquire as many pieces in that top 50 or so as you possibly can because that's where the elite tier of players really lies. Anytime you get outside of that, then maybe we're not even necessarily looking at starters, uh, for example. So you want to move back, and ideally you want to move back, but... Um, the opportunity cost of missing out on, on a big name, like, I don't know, for example, like like a Devontae Adams, if you're like 107 or something like that, uh, can cause some people to, to not necessarily want to make that decision. And it's, it's it's been that way for me. But when I can move back and I'm not moving 
too far in those first four or five rounds, uh, then yes, that's definitely the strategy that I do go for. Well, that's all about tiers, right? At least it is for me. Uh, if if you've got that second tier of wide receivers or first tier, I guess maybe with guys like Beckham and Adams and and Juju, if you value all of those guys around the same and you're sitting in the middle of the first round, then yeah, absolutely try to move back and be happy with whichever one you get. Um, but but you're right; you have to be careful not to move back too far outside of that that tier you're looking at. I don't know about you guys, but we did we did the six round mock draft, which we'll get to here in a minute. But there was certainly more instances when I was on the clock that I'd be fielding calls to go backwards than to go forwards. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree, and uh, I don't I don't want to say it's you know a hard and fast rule, but in general, I'm going to be moving or at least attempting to move back in a draft much more often than I would be trading up. Do you two also, have you guys found it that that's a great opportunity to pick up future first from somebody else? I mean, it seems like it's every startup I've done, I think I end up with an extra future first somewhere along the line. Yeah, I had a good discussion with Nathan Powell on his podcast uh, a few weeks ago about that. And it really does seem like that's the easiest time to acquire Mm -hmm. those future picks. Fantasy players are... They're wanting to move up and down and and move all around that draft board and get the targets they want, but they also don't want to give up the equity that they have this year or the chance to to acquire that player. And and sometimes, I think sometimes people are a little too loose with those future picks. Yeah, in that environment too, because they're so excited to get their guy. I mean, I'll get rid of a future first and I'm building a dynasty and it's going to be 12th in the round anyways because my team's so good. Look how smart I am drafting this team, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Folks, by now, most of you have probably heard of Reality Sports Online, the powerful fantasy sports platform where owners get to build and manage their fantasy team just like an NFL general manager. But the question is, have you tried it? It's time to go see what all the buzz in the Dynasty community is all about. Free agency, multi-year contracts, a rookie draft, multi-team trades, franchise tags, contract extensions, First-round rookie options, automated contract and salary cap functionality, and way more. It sounds complicated. It's not. The best thing about Reality Sports Online Fantasy Front Office is it doesn't take any more time than a standard league. It just requires more strategy. So if you think you're among the fantasy elite, which I assume you do because you're listening to us, well, this is the platform to test your mettle. Still not sure? You can test out your general manager skills for free in a mock free agency auction. If you like what you see, use the promo code BLUEPRINT to receive 10% off discount on on your team or league today. Fantasy just got real at realitysportsonline.com. All right, guys, we've talked about it a little bit. Let's uh, let's go ahead and get into this mock draft we did. So we did a a five-round 12-team uh, mock draft, so that means each uh, one of the three of us were in charge of building four different teams. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I tried to build uh, each of these teams, each of my four teams, with some different strategies, uh, and we'll we'll get into that. But let us let me just run through round one quickly, and uh, and then we'll talk about some of these players. Aton had the first pick. He took Saquon Barkley. Matt was second with Alvin Kamara. I took Christian McCaffrey at third, and then we continued alternating uh, in that same pattern. DeAndre Hopkins, Ezekiel Elliott, Odell Beckham Jr., Devontae Adams, Michael Thomas, Juju Smith-Schuster, Joe Mixon, David Johnson, and Mike Evans to finish off round one. 
So, Aton, I know you kind of hinted at this earlier in the show. Do you have a typical round one target position? Is it is it as simple as if you have a top four pick, you're grabbing a wide? Uh, I'm sorry, a running back, and other than that, you're targeting a wide receiver. Or how how does that breakdown go for round one? I'm gonna out myself a little bit here. Um, when we were when we started this uh, this mock draft, uh, I thought it was it was all one team for some reason. And uh, and so I didn't realize that we were drafting for four different teams. So I actually skipped over Ezekiel Elliott um, and picked uh, DeAndre Hopkins as the number one pick on one of my teams. But I probably would have reversed that um, had I had the wherewithal to actually uh, understand what I was doing. Uh, that said, it didn't last much longer though. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, of course, of course, that was uh, an opportunity that's probably never, ever, ever going to happen in a draft again. Um, but. Um, my ideal position is honestly is towards the back of the uh, of the draft. I like having uh, picks close to the turn uh, because then I can really dominate kind of what happens with the rest of the league. I can be the person to spark those runs, um, and I can be the person to start making people uncomfortable with the decisions that I'm making at those picks, knowing that I have uh, two of those in a row or two of those very, very close together. Um, it's also an opportunity for me to go ahead and trade those picks uh, for moves where I have to move up in the draft. I mean, people see a number in front of a 12 and they just assume that it's it's that round. So if I'm trading something like the 412 or something, they immediately think, okay, well, this is a fourth rounder. It has fourth round value. And yes, it is a fourth rounder technically, <laughs> but if it's a 412, it's essentially a fifth rounder that I'm trading you uh, for fourth round value. So I, I really do like the, the um, ability to be a little bit more creative with your draft strategy at the turn. So that's, that's definitely where I, I like to be. Ryan, do you have a preference in general? Because I, I like to pick in the middle of the round, um, mostly because once you get past the first five, six, seven rounds, if there's a guy I'm torn on in the ninth round and I'm picking seventh in that round, there's a chance he comes back to me. You know, if, I, if there's two dudes I'm not sure, if I'm on the ends, I might as well flush the guy I don't pick down the drain. But if I'm in the middle, I at least got a chance to end up with both. I think for me, it, it it's really a year to year thing. Um, there's there's certainly been years where um, I, I agree. I would agree with Aton and would rather be uh, closer to the corner uh, at the at the one two turn. I think this year is honestly probably one of those years. Looking at the the players that go in that late first, early second round range, uh, but then again, the depth of that that top tier, the second tier, sometimes that uh, that changes my my position on that and pushes me up until the middle of the round. So for me, it's, it's really a year to year thing looking at the value. Uh, Matt, what, what about you though, just as far as the position you target in round one, I know, uh, I know you used to be uh, exclusively a, a wide receiver early guy. You've kind of shifted to running back. Obviously, if you have one of those top three or four picks, you're taking a running back. But uh, other than that, what is your game plan? I think I'm much more running back central or centric now than I've I've ever been. And I think that there's just what a dozen 15 that you start every week or bell cow guys and if I can end up with two of them, I just feel like I can win an awful lot of fantasy games, or, you know, on a week to week basis that I'm hard to beat if I'm starting Mixon and David Johnson if I'm picking the turn or something like that or two really strong options that my opponent doesn't have. 
I just think there's a better chance of unearthing startable talent at the other positions later. You know, what running backs dry up quick. And I do realize that you're not as built for the long haul, chances are, if your first two picks are running backs. But it's fun winning now, and there's some really good ones out there that I want. There are. There are. You've, you've really changed your tune over, I have. over the years. <laughs> it's been a while since we talked startup strategy. Matt, I want to talk you know about... What? I think a lot of it's just because of what has come into the league the last couple of years, too. The, the sure. young running backs are so much better than the young receivers, and it wasn't like that when we started this pod. Yeah, but we still have to... I think you talked last week about this, uh, just the lifespan of those running right. backs. And, and even... Even these guys at the top, um, McCaffrey, Kamara, Zeke, if, if we come back in two or three years, are they still going to be first-rounders? Probably not. History Probably shows not. not, right? Maybe one of them is, you know. Uh, Juju will be. Right. Evans will be. Yeah. Odell Beckham will be, right? Like Right. I mean, like and, AJ Green and Julio have taken a long time to not be first-rounders. Yeah, so that then that gets into um, – just, just your window. Uh, how, how long are you, you know, projecting, uh, projecting these players out? And and kind of the common thing people talk about is a three year window. Um, and some people like to say that they go even beyond that. I I think that's all kind of crazy. I don't think a three year window is even uh, appropriate, honestly, because I think once the season starts, we all get impa- impatient. Even even most people building with a productive struggle model. Once you get in season, uh, our mindset changes, and um, it's it's tough to it's tough to stick with that. So uh, that's that's kind of another conversation, though. Matt, I did want to ask you before we get to round two about your David Johnson pick. It's it, it's pretty rare, I guess, to have a risky pick in round one, but I do see some risk with Johnson as a first rounder between the injury, the new offense. Um, and, and everybody's excited about that, but we're also not exactly sure what it's going to bring, uh, especially for the running back position. So just talk a little bit about taking David Johnson over guys like Evans, Melvin Gordon, Chubb, etc. Yeah, and I would have taken Mixon if he would have fallen one more spot, just because of youth, and I think the Bengals' offense will be really good. Um, yeah, it is a little bit risky. I, I mean, I would have liked to have gotten him a little later, I mentioned before, you know, that would have been a time that I absolutely would have been fielding offers to trade down. It's not how we structured this, of course. But the thing I like about him, and I think that offense is going to throw the ball a ton. I think they're going to be losing a ton. I think that they're going to quickly realize that even though their offensive line is better, it is not, you know, equipped to pound the ball, pound the ball, wear people down. I think he might catch... 85, 95 balls this year, and that's enough for me. Yeah, yeah, that would be that would be a nice return, certainly. All right, let's move on to round two. Uh, I started that one off there being on the corner, so I took Nick Chubb. Melvin Gordon went next. Travis Kelsey, Amari Cooper, George Kittle, Stefan Diggs, Todd Gurley, uh, obviously a, a player that's been uh, at the front of our minds in – the dynasty community, he goes off the board at 2.07. Uh, and then it went Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Keenan Allen, Josh Jacobs, and Brandon Cooks. Eitan, I want to go to you first. So at this point, uh, second round in, in, in a typical league, barring any trades, this is obviously your, your second pick. In the first round, you've 
most likely taking a running back or a wide receiver. How much is that first round pick impacting your second round pick? Are you are you always going to try to balance that out if you went receiver early? Are you taking a back here? Are you afraid to to pass on running back altogether? Well, on one of my teams, you do see that I, I did go two wide receivers in a row um, with this, but that's that's not how I generally go. Um, there are shallower pools at running back, at tight end, at least at the very top of tight end, that kind of force you into making a decision um, of getting one of those positions um, at that second pick based on what your first one is. But um, again, it, it's all about the people that you're drafting with and kind of understanding what their teams already have and kind of what holes do you still have left to fill. So I'm, I'm pretty open to, to kind of going where the wind takes me with that. Um, but in most circumstances, in those first two picks, one of those first two picks for me is generally going to be a running back just because um, there's just a shallower talent pool of guys available, at least until this famed uh, 2020 class comes and, and makes uh, running backs uh, the, the commodity uh, all over again. If you go two yeah. rounds without taking a running back, it gets pretty light. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Anton, I'm going to stick with you. I wanted to ask you about your first pick in this round, which was the 2.03 pick. Uh, you took Travis Kelsey, obviously, as the tight end one off the board. You had taken uh, on that team, you had taken Joe Mixon late in the first round. So you've got a Mixon, Travis Kelsey start. Uh, of, of course, I, I think. Kelsey is locked in as the tight end one for most people. That still feels a little bit rich to me. Tell us about uh, just the strategy of taking a tight end that early. It is. It is. I'm not going to sit here and, and try to defend that, um, you know, that that is a pick without any risk associated with it. Um, but, I mean, this is kind of an all-encompassing type thing. If Travis Kelsey is all alone on an island with, you know, Sammy Watkins for maybe six games, no Tyreek Hill, and rookies around him. Then, I mean, his value is commensurate uh, of that with the top end wide receiver because he's going to be targeted like a top end wide receiver. So, for me, it's not about the usual argument that people give with tight ends, like there's, uh, you know, incredible value in those top three, and then you know everything else after that is 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 you have no idea what you're really doing. It's just looking at the pure targets that this guy is going to vacuum up in that offense. I mean, he's already with Patrick Mahomes. Uh, He's 29 years old right now. Uh, We've seen statistically that tight ends can still be effective out to age 33. So this is not even necessarily a pick that I'm making for just today. This is a pick that can help me down the line as well. Um, I do think that there is – absolutely ridiculous value with Travis Kelsey um, this particular year uh, with everything uh, going on with Kansas City. I, I couldn't agree more. And, and listeners, if they didn't catch it, I took Kittle two picks later and was hoping Kelsey would fall to me at 2-5. Yeah, go, looking at this, the back half of the second round, and obviously these are very, very valuable players in, in the dynasty format. These are guys taken in the top uh, 24 of a draft. But Diggs, Gurley, Cook, Connor, Allen, Jacobs, Cooks. All of those guys, to me, have all almost all of those have some questions. And going back to our discussion in the first round, again, that just makes me want to pick towards the later part of the first round, earlier part of the second round, and get two of those top 15 guys hmm. that I feel much more uh, comfortable with. Uh, we, we've got to talk about Gurley a little bit. I, I wondered how far he would fall. I finally... 
uh, broke that that streak again at, at 2.07, middle of the second round. How are you guys handling Gurley in a dynasty format, especially a dynasty startup? Uh, is is he? Uh, are you even considering him in in the first two rounds as one of those core pieces of your team at this point, Aton? Um, I have a I have a funny story about uh, Todd Gurley actually. So, um, one of the startups that I, I run with um, a guy who I'm uh, good friends with his his name is Russ. Uh, his uh, handle is actually Dynasty Outhouse. Um, in one of his leagues, I actually was on the clock uh, the day before the first uh, new, quote-unquote, new news came out about Todd Gurley. Um, and because this was the day before that happened, I was completely comfortable with getting him, I think, uh, as the third pick overall, uh, just after seeing what happened at the end of last season. Um, but then I kind of got sick to my stomach a little bit when <laughs> everything started coming out. Um, and I ended up uh, actually packaging him in a deal with Marquise Brown with the second round pick for, uh, I believe it was Cooper Cup, uh, Tyreek Hill, and Damian Williams that I received back in that deal. And I think that deal for me showed me how I really felt about Todd Gurley. Now, I understand that maybe a lot of this is overblown. I understand that we've heard a lot of blurbs that actually haven't given us any new information recently, and a lot of people are uh, double counting those and stacking those on top of each other, which I don't believe is really the way that you should be approaching the situation. Um, but at the same time, I'm trying to build a team that is going to be competitive down the line. If this is sincerely an issue with Todd Gurley, then we're looking at decreased volume for not just this year, but for years down the line. And that's probably only for as long as uh, the Rams can afford to keep his contract on that team because the, they are stuck with Todd Gurley for the next three years uh, because of the dead cap situation, how that works out on his deal. After that, a lot can change with Todd Gurley. And if you're not going to be giving him the 300 plus touches that they were giving him year after year, then suddenly the question becomes, well, is this enormous cap hit worth it? So regardless of how I particularly feel about Todd Gurley, um, I do think that the team is showing you right now that they are devaluing Todd Gurley a little bit and it might not be uh, roses in the next few seasons uh, when they actually have the option uh, to go in a different direction uh, because of all the other guys that they've added at that position um, in resigning uh, Malcolm Brown and in uh, drafting a guy like Daryl Henderson. But um, on the reverse side of that, I do think Daryl Henderson is going way too high in drafts right now. Don't you think, though, I mean, when you think about a running back lifespan anyways, that a mid-second round startup for Gurley who should still be really productive when given the ball is worth it for three years, even if he's getting 75% of his insane, once insane workload. I do. I do. But at the same time, other guys I don't mean, have that issue, but yeah. <laughs> of course, of course. Right. But at the same time, uh, when you're making that decision over a guy like Mixon, who I believe can give you very, very close to the same without having those associated health risks with him, then it's just an issue of opportunity cost. And I think that's where I start to lose a little bit of faith in, in wanting to be the guy to actually pull the trigger on Todd Gurley. Yeah. Again, looking at the, how kind of how the running backs fell, of course we had the, the big four uh, at the top of round one, we had Joe Mixon and David Johnson 
late in round one, Nick Chubb and Melvin Gordon early in round two. And then we had four straight pass catchers uh, before we got to Gurley. So I, I think Gurley, value-wise, probably does belong in that Dalvin Cook, James Conner, Jacobs, Fournette tier uh, more so now than, than he does in the conversation with uh, Gordon or Johnson or, or Mixon, guys like that. And the tier you just mentioned all have red flags, too. You know, like, I was going to sure. take Gurley at 2-8, and you took him one spot ahead of me, so I took Cook, who... He may be the most disappointing guy ever if he never sees a field. You know what I mean? I mean, his injury concerns are as big as Gurley's. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Um, Folks, I've told you many times about Harry's. Um, They were sponsors of another podcast I used to do, and I used to be an electric razor-only guy because my face would break out when I'd use a blade. But then I started, you know, getting involved with Harry's, and I love them. Um, I I expect you should do the same Join the 10 million, including myself, who have tried Harry's. Claim your special offer by going to harrys.com slash dynasty. Harry's founders were just two regular dudes like us, trying to get ripped, tired of getting ripped off and paying for overpriced gimmicks. Uh, they, they make high-quality, durable blades at an extremely fair price. It's only $2 a blade. To keep those prices low, they cut out the middleman. They bought a world-class blade factory in Germany that's been making some of the best razor blade in the world for 99 years now. Uh, of course, there's a 100% quality guarantee. If you don't love your shave, let them know, and they'll give you a full refund. So this is what you do. Get a trial set that comes with everything you need for a close, comfortable shave. A weighted handle that's really easy to grip, feels great in your hand. Five-blade razor with a lubricating strip and trimmer blade for a close shave. Rich lathering shave gel that will leave you smelling great. I often tell you my wife loves the smell of it. And a travel blade cover to keep your razor dry and easy on the go. Uh, listeners to our show can redeem their trial set at harrys.com slash dynasty. Make sure you go to harrys.com slash dynasty to redeem your offer and let them know that we sent you to help support the show. Let's look at round three, guys. Of course, the deeper we get, the more questions we get about these players. Round three, Aton kicked it off with Leonard Fournette. Then it went Adam Thielen, Le'Veon Bell, Aaron Jones, Julio Jones, Antonio Brown, Carrion Johnson, A.J. Green, D.J. Moore, Kenny Galladay, Derrick Henry, and Nikhil Harry. So we're, we're all over the board with some veterans that... Uh, we can trust to produce, but maybe only for a short term. And some young players, including uh, including the second rookie off the board here in this round. Uh, Aton, looking at, at these 12 players, which one would you typically avoid? Which I, I guess which one was, uh, we could call it your least favorite pick. And, and let's, and don't pick one of your own. Pick, pick on myself or Matt here. <laughs> Okay, so let's see here. So this is 301 through 312? Yes. Um, if you want to think about it, I got two Orions I could criticize. <laughs> I have, uh, <laughs> <it> on, buddy. <laughs> I have actually uh, one, one of Matt's and one of Orions that uh, throw up some question marks for me. So A.J. Green at 308. Um, of course, if A.J. Green is on the field, A.J. Green is uh, one of the top 12 receivers in the league year in, year out. And I do understand that. 
Um, I just worry about his multiple foot issues. Uh, it seems like they're getting worse uh, pretty much every year. Um, it seems like he's missing more and more time every year. And then on top of that, uh, we're just not seeing the same level of consistency that we've seen from A.J. Green. There's games where, you know, he goes for 150 in a touch. Uh, but there's also games where a guy like A.J. Green scores something like five, six, seven fantasy points. And it's just something that uh, is, is jarring, uh, seeing that type of production come from that player. So I do have some questions there. And then also um, going down a little bit further, and Nikhil Harry uh, at 312 is is also – uh, something that um, you know, I I don't know if I necessarily uh, have have the cojones to do that myself. Um, I do love Nikhil Harry. I do think uh, statistically, when you factor in um, the market share that he had in college, when you factor in his college dominator, uh, everything uh, statistically is positive in his direction. But when you put him on a Patriots team uh, where he's not even necessarily going to be able to play his best position, which I think is a big slot uh, because Julian Edelman is going to be playing that most of the time. Uh, then I start to wonder um, what type of production we can realistically expect to see uh, from year one with him. So I guess those would be the two uh, guys in this general section that, that I would avoid, but that's not saying that they're bad picks. That's just saying that I don't know if I would have uh, the same belief in myself to, to go in that direction. Yeah, that is that is definitely fair. And, and according to our recent ADP, Harry at 36 overall was a little bit of a reach, not not too bad. And AJ Green actually, uh, that's that's about where he went uh, in ADP is is where Matt took him. All right, Matt, bring it on. Who who are my two picks that you didn't? didn't uh, Harry's the one for every, all the reasons just mentioned, and the other one's DJ Moore. And you can blame Matt Harmon for that. You mentioned it last time we got together. And I went back and listened to his analysis on Curtis Samuel, who didn't get picked yeah. in this, but I thought about, and I he sold me. You know, I think Moore might be a lifetime number two type guy. He might be Robin instead of Batman. Okay, that's fair. I think we've got a lot of receivers, a lot of these young wide receivers, and, and Moore and Moore and Harry are two of them. We mentioned Kenny Galladay in this range as well. I think all all of those guys kind of have similar value right now. You can throw in a, a couple of players that we'll get to in the next round, Calvin Ridley, uh, Chris Godwin. I think those all of those young wide receivers are kind of clustered in the same um, the same value tier right now. Yeah, Ridley's my so, favorite of that group, though. I think he stands out. Yeah, Aton, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick on you on this one just a little bit. Three point oh four, Aaron Jones. Oh no. I, I knew I wouldn't have your support. <laughs> That's my guy. <laughs> I, I'm I'm a little worried, right? We we've seen injuries with this guy. We've seen a, a, a suspension, and, and now we've got a new coaching staff that that always uh, always brings some some doubt, I guess, when you've got uh, lingering players from from the previous regime. Regime. They draft Dexter Williams. I know they spent a, a late round pick on him, but. Um, I'm just not sure we can assume Aaron Jones is the every down back there in, in green Bay. And, and none of that means I don't, I I wouldn't want him on my teams. I I certainly would. I don't know if I would want him on my teams at at the cost of the 28th overall pick though, when you're taking him above Julio Jones, uh, Antonio Brown, uh, even, even carry on Johnson, Aton, who you picked a, a few picks later. So that's actually the the running back discussion there is is probably the more interesting one of Jones versus Carryon Johnson. 
Yeah, you know what? I I could kind of see this one coming. As soon as I made that pick, I, I figured that I would have some some backlash coming uh, with this one. So I've I've tried to prepare a, a way to defend myself on this one. And uh, the thing is, I tend not to look at dynasty players as individual players. I, I look at the team as a whole, and I look at the team situation as a whole. And what I see in Aaron Jones' situation is he is on an offense that's going to be in a red zone uh, a heck of a lot. Uh, yes, I understand that uh, Andrew um, – not that Andrew, that um, Aaron Rodgers is that type of quarterback that will pass at the one-yard line and, and instead of run a little bit more often than some other guys. Um, but at the same time, uh, he's going to be in a positive situation over and over again. Injuries that were mentioned with Aaron Jones, um, I think, apply to everybody in this tier. A lot of people uh, seem to value Dalvin Cook, but don't value Leonard Fournette or value on Johnson, but don't value Aaron Jones when realistically all of these guys have dealt with injuries throughout their career. In fact, I believe Dalvin Cook out of the four of those guys has actually played the least games in his first two years. And people just seem to brush that by the wayside because of what they see from his production. I think that when you're building a team, which is what I was trying to do with this pick, it's very, very important to have targeted upside. And that's why I went with a guy like Aaron Jones, um, even over a guy like Carrion Johnson, just because I don't see too much competition with Dexter Williams. I understand that they made that draft pick. I understand that Matt LaFleur um, kind of uh, went back and forth with his backs last season, uh, but he seemed to make the right decision. And as soon as he made that decision to go with Derrick Henry, he stuck with it. Um, I think he's going to do sort of the same thing in Green Bay. I think maybe we'll see a little bit of a split at the beginning of the year, but as soon as we see Aaron Jones do what he's done his entire career, which is be one of the most efficient backs we've seen in recent memory, uh, then we're going to see a lot more carries uh, given from him in a better offense than uh, Detroit. So that's why I went Aaron Jones over Carryon Johnson. I think it's a good debate between those two, but I like Jones's offense situation and talent better. Yeah, you, you, you didn't you didn't quite sway me, but you definitely definitely made a good argument there. All right, guys, let's look at round four. Uh, round four, I started that one off with David Montgomery, and then it went Calvin Ridley, Marlon Mack, Chris Godwin, Miles Sanders, Tyler Boyd, Zach Ertz, T.Y. Hilton, Tyler Lockett, Cooper Cup, Corey Davis, and Allen Robinson. A ton of wide receivers off the board in this round, and, and part of that is due to that running back position drying up pretty quickly, as we mentioned earlier. We gave each other some grief on the last round. Let's let's try to compliment each other this time. Aton, who was your favorite pick that was not one of your picks in this round? Favorite pick that was not one of my picks. I actually stri- tried to steal this pick. Uh, I didn't realize he had <laughs> been picked, and uh, I wanted to get him for myself, but it's, it's Chris Godwin. Um, that is just an offense that, I mean, not only uh, is that – on a team with a terrible defense that's going to have uh, to have those shootout games. Uh, he's also on a team uh, with a quarterback that likes to throw downfield, even though he's not very good at it. He's also on a team uh, without 
a pass catcher in the backfield. Uh, so there's not going to be targets that are, are going to be taken from that total uh, pool um, in that situation. And I, I, we've already heard the coach come out and say that this is a guy who's going to be a candidate for a hundred catches this year. Now I know it's very dangerous to rely too much on coach speak, but when you put together a concentrated offense, that's going to be uh, situated around three guys and Mike Evans uh, himself, as well as OJ Howard, um, on top of everything else that I was saying before, I really do think that Chris Godwin has a good chance of being a receiver with a thousand plus uh, six, seven touchdowns, if not more than that. I think that's a conservative proje- projection for a guy like Chris Godwin. And to be completely honest, um, I probably would have gone Chris Godwin first in this round of the receivers in this round. Yeah, Godwin is is has been a hotly debated player. Uh, around Twitter and in the dynasty community really all off season. And and I'm sure he will continue to be, but this really seems like a simple situation to me. He, he produced last season. Uh, I I was looking at that and talking about that with, with some folks the other day. If you consider week 17, which, which many leagues and many people don't, if you consider that though, he was wide receiver 25. If you leave that out, he was wide receiver 36. Either way, he was he was a wide receiver three, and he was essentially the the fourth target on that team. And two of the targets that were ahead of him are now gone. It it's it really feels pretty simple to me. He produced with limited opportunity last year. Now we can see that that opportunity is is going to grow and and probably grow significantly. And, and and that's that's where the hype is coming from. That's where the ADP is coming from. He's wide receiver 19, and, and that is scaring many people off. He's certainly a lot better than the two jokers you took the round before. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matt, what about you? Which pick did you like in this round? Uh, there are actually two of yours. Godwin, like I said, I would have taken over those two receivers you took last round. And Montgomery, I, I thought you were a Sanders over Montgomery guy. I'm a Montgomery over Sanders guy, but you took Montgomery over Sanders. Oh, yeah, I mostly wanted to mess with you, but uh, okay. um, which, nice. which is always fun in a startup <laughs> draft. But also, um, yeah, I, I just kind of felt like, well, part of it was looking at the team that I was building at that point. And, and as I told you guys at the beginning of the show, I, I did – uh, I, I, this was not just a, a best player available exercise for me. I was looking at the teams I was building, even though we, we only got five players deep with that. And um, with some questions about uh, Sanders health and, and his competition in Philadelphia in year one, at that point, I just felt like Montgomery was the better fit for that specific team I was building. But yes, in my rankings, I do still prefer Sanders. See, that's interesting to me because I think it brings up a bigger conversation of, if you have a team and it's the rookie draft and you have a couple running backs, as everyone does, of course, it's maybe it's easier to take Sanders as opposed to, boy, all I have is Joe Mixon or Gordon or somebody. I need somebody to start. I better take Montgomery. Well, I think you'll you'll hear a lot of people say, uh, don't draft for need in a rookie draft or uh, just always take best player available. And, and I get that, and I'm, I'm sure I've said that myself many times, but rookies especially rookie running backs can help you from uh, immediately mm-hmm. so i don't i don't think um I, I think we have to consider that and and if that moves uh, montgomery over sanders you know for a specific dynasty player i i get that even though uh long term i've still got sanders i hear you 
for me, I think, yeah, all this, all this Sanders talk, he's obviously a player I like. I've actually had him ranked over, uh, over Josh Jacobs for much of the off season. So yeah, that was, that was my favorite pick. Yeah, I mean, I actually uh, recently had a conversation um, <clears throat> going back and forth with uh, both Montgomery and Sanders uh, myself on uh, another DLF podcast, uh, actually the Dynasty Crossroads, uh, just the other day. These guys are just really, really hard for me to separate because, again, um, most of my process is based in situation. Both of these guys have multiple pros and multiple cons against them. Um, Sanders, yes, you may worry about the opportunity, but I think you have to do the same thing about Montgomery. Um, If you're counting on goal line uh, rushes from Montgomery, well, he has a mobile quarterback. What is that going to eat into his goal line work? Um, If you're counting on um, maybe Montgomery uh, being at least a little bit more active uh, in his offense as a whole, uh, well, then I think you also have to realize that Tariq Cohen um, is going to be the main pass catcher on that team. So does that mean that Montgomery, even though he can pass catch, isn't necessarily going to be asked to do that immediately? Um, if you look uh, in Philadelphia, uh, they clearly have the better offensive line. Last season, per football outsiders, uh, their adjusted line yards, I think, had them ranked somewhere in the top 10. Whereas if you look at the Chicago offensive line, uh, that offensive line was, was bottom five overall. So I, I think it's... It's really, really hard to parse between these two. I I think these two are of completely equal value, and it's really just a matter of who floats your boat in that situation uh, between those two specific guys after Josh Jacobs because we can project more volume for Josh Jacobs than we at least initially can uh, for both of these guys. So let me tell you about another wonderful sponsor we have. I would like to introduce you to a new sponsor of the show. I guess they've been around a little while at the FFPC, the home of season-long high-stakes football. They've been t- it's been 10 years since the FFPC filled their first Dynasty League, and they've now grown to be the world's largest Dynasty League commissioner with leagues starting at 77 bucks that go as high as 5 grand if you want to enter. FFPC leagues are active and competitive, and not a single league has ever folded. Brand new startup Dynasty Leagues are forming right now, starting at $77 and up in standard Superflex and best ball formats. FFPC also has plenty of other great redraft formats, including best ball drafts starting at just $35, all the way up to $12.50 per entry. Both slow and live leagues are filling and launching daily. Check out the FFPC Experience Dynasty Blueprint listeners. Go to myffpc.com, that's M-Y-F-F-P-C.com, the home of season-long high-stakes fantasy football. All right, guys, our final round was round five. That began with Aton taking Mike Williams, uh, and then it went O.J. Howard, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Christian Kirk, Damian Williams, Evan Ingram, Sammy Watkins, A.J. Brown, Robert Woods, Tevin Coleman, and Darius Geis. Guys, we've got to start the conversation with Patrick Mahomes. I took him with the third pick in this round, 5.03. That is much, much lower than his ADP. He's been sitting in that second round range, uh, sometimes sometimes falling to the third round in our DLF Dynasty ADP for most of this offseason. So it was a little bit of a game of chicken with which one of us was going to take Mahomes, and, and I finally gave in here. Aton, in general, not specifically regarding Mahomes, but in general, what is your strategy in a startup draft with the quarterback position? Are you like everybody else? It's late round quarterback the whole way, or do you consider breaking that rule for some players? 
I mean, I think you have to blame JJ Zacharyson for yep. the the current state of uh, of how people are evaluating uh, quarterbacks in startups, especially. But I mean, if there's a guy to break the mold, uh, this is the guy. Uh, like. Even people are taking away from him because of the uncertainty about the Tyreek Hill situation. But I mean, this was his first year starting. (laughs) I think that's the the main thing here. And every attribute you could possibly want in a quarterback exists in Patrick Mahomes. Is he mobile? Yes. Does he have a cannon? Yes. Does he make good decisions? Yes. Is he easily adaptable? And does he forget when he makes bad decisions and go ahead and be able to uh, get in on that next play and, and throw another bomb over your head, not necessarily caring about what he's done in the past? Yes. So all of these things the mind. One of the best offensive minds in the history of the game running things too. Yes. <laughs> right. You know. And and until just very recently, he had one of the best skill positions groups in the games uh, as well. So there is not a single detractor point uh, away from Patrick Mahomes. So I mean, I don't know if I'm necessarily going to be the one uh, to reach for a guy like Mahomes in the first six, seven picks of a one-quarterback league, but if there's a guy that's actually going to give you an advantage at the position that nobody else offers, then absolutely you have to go with Patrick Mahomes, and I can't fault the pick for that reason. Is he going to regress this year? Probably yes, but that still might mean he's number quarterback one. It's crazy. Absolutely. Yeah, that's what I, that's what I was thinking about. I was looking at a, a a list, basically a complete list of all fantasy quarterback seasons. Uh, I think it went back to the uh, to the merger, and his was number one mm-hmm. in fantasy points. So you look at that. Basically, he had the best quarterback season of all time from a fantasy perspective, and unless something crazy happens, that's going to be the best season, statistical season of his career. So you take him. Even in the fifth round here, which, as I said, was is quite a bit off his ADP, and you still have to have a few questions about it. Um, I mean, it would it would be very fair, and and probably wouldn't even be a surprise if I said if I told you he wouldn't be the QB one this year. It, it could easily be Luck or Rogers or, um, or or Mayfield or Watson or any of any of these guys being valued highly. Um, but but yeah, right now he's he's still carrying that value, and Aton, as you said, it it at least feels like he gives you an advantage over everyone else. Can I ask you another Mahomes pick question though, Ryan? Sure. If you drank truth, drink drink some truth serum right now, okay? Okay. And let's pretend you only have one team in this draft, not four. You only have four players that you own right now, and you know we're midway through the fifth round. And I'm not saying this is a bad pick. I bet you don't take Mahomes in the real world. I mean, he's certainly worth it. We all said good things, but I think you're deep down. You got too much Zacharyson in you, like I do. Yeah, yeah, and and I mean, JJ was obviously right with his analysis that came, um, what six or seven years ago now, probably longer than that. But the thing that is even added onto that is is just the depth of the quarterback position and and yeah. these great scores, um, these great veteran scores that have hung around the the Rivers and Roethlisberger's guys like that that just keep doing it, and then every year we get one or two more that either break out or that that come into the league. So uh, he, he was already right, and and his uh, his analysis has been backed up by 
the the continued depth at the position. Aton, I want to ask you about Tyreek Hill. Obviously, another hot button issue and and player in the league. We've seen his value go from borderline first round to sixth or seventh round. Uh, you you mentioned earlier off the air that you got him. I think in the ninth round of one of your startup drafts you were doing. Here you take him at five point oh four, and you shared some of your some of your uh, analysis and thoughts on him. I would love to hear that uh, for our listeners as well. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and defend Tyreek Hill the person. Um, I don't think that it would be fair for anybody to do, um, and so I'm not going to get into that. But Tyreek Hill is a fantasy asset. Um, I do think that he is just massively undervalued right now, regardless of what happens with a potential suspension this year. Let's assume the worst. Let's assume that he's out this year. Okay, he's out this year. That means he comes back next year, still attached to the Kansas City Chiefs that have yet to cut him, uh, still attached to Patrick Mahomes, only 26 years old, which statistically is the beginning of a wide receiver's prime, and that extends all the way out until 29 years old. Uh, He is a deep ball threat that can also be very, very effective in the short game and also has a yak ability uh, to him. Um, He is not necessarily an injury risk. We just haven't seen uh, much uh, from him being injured both in the pros and in college. And, I mean, he's a guy that offers something that literally nobody else in the NFL does in terms of his deep speed and combined with the strength at the catch point. So, for me, Tyreek Hill is a guy who, at least looking at it from that perspective, is still a top 10 dynasty receiver. I actually have him in a lot of my ranks as a top 6 dynasty receiver, even if you let this year go. Because there are just so many things that are still going for him. Even if the Chiefs decide not to extend him this season due to everything that happened this season, uh, Sammy Watkins' contract is structured uh, in a way that allows them to get out of all of that money uh, to go ahead and shift that into maybe a potential franchise tag for Tyreek Hill if that's not something that they necessarily want to see happening long term. So there's just so many scenarios where not only is he in the best offense attached to the best quarterback with – as you were saying, Matt, the best play caller uh, for the foreseeable future that make me uh, still just have so much faith that Tyreek Hill is is still a bona fide top tier uh, asset at the wide receiver position and in dynasty leagues as a whole. Assuming the suspension didn't happen, I don't think he gets out of the second round. I think he's a borderline first round pick in startups, and I think that's saying a lot. I think that's really well said because I had the next pick and I thought I was going to be so smart and take Tyreek Hill at 5'5". Five, five. And looking back, like I'm mad at myself I didn't take him in the third round because I really think what's going to happen, and I have no insight on this at all. Nobody knows. I bet he gets six to eight games and that's it. Then he still should be a second round pick if that's true. Yeah, I guess with all of that, and, and I I buy all of that, I mean, you, you make me feel a lot better about my Tyreek Hill shares that I already have. But my only concern in, in your analysis there, Aton, is especially if he does get the year suspension, I think the Chiefs move on at that point. Um, so that that would be my only, I guess, fear with uh, drafting him in the fifth round or, or really even owning him at all because we had, of course, some this similar. <laughs> right. We had this we had this similar analysis with. Uh, with Kareem Hunt, and yes, he'll land somewhere, and and he'll be fine, and 
And now he's a backup, and we're not exactly sure what's going to happen there. So he's obviously lost value because of that off-field incident. And, um, I mean, everything you say about Hill and Mahomes and Andy Reid, that's all basically best-case scenario. Uh, it's that's true. As talented as as many talented quarterbacks and, and play callers as there are around the league, there's not a better situation for him. That's very true. But then I also remember that he made Alex Smith one of the best deep ball throwers in the NFL last season. So, I mean, even if he goes to another team, realistically, we're still looking at a guy that is probably going to finish in the top 10, top 12, worst case scenario, top 15 in his position for the foreseeable future. So even that baked in to uh, everything that you were saying Still, for me, Tyreek Hill just has an immense amount of value uh, to him. All right, that makes sense. And let's just, uh, because it is such a, a big topic this offseason, let's step out of the startup draft mentality. Would you be buying Tyreek Hill on your existing teams? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I, okay. I did. I did, actually, recently, uh, a few times. All right. You're making me feel feel a lot better about that. However, he could do something stupid again tomorrow. <laughs> that's, and then you're SOL. That's the real that's yeah. Right. yeah. Or the week after that or next year. Right. Let's finish up with this. Again, we built four teams each with this exercise. Aton, tell us, pick one of those four of your own teams that was your favorite and just quickly outline the strategy that you used with that. So my favorite team here um, has probably got to be um, – Team Team B, um, and that's just because I tend to devalue the running back position long term. Um, so I don't mind having Aaron Jones and James Conner starting as my two running backs because I know that uh, I'm going to be able to churn my roster with those running backs. I'm going to be able to use uh, those rookie draft picks to get running backs that are going to produce early. So I have a lot of um, faith in having or in using startup picks for wide receivers and having uh, the trio of Hopkins, who is worst case scenario, the wide receiver three this year. I think he's wide receiver one. Um, Having a guy like Lockett, who's moving into a number one wide receiver role. I I do think he has uh, some top 12 potential to him. I wouldn't necessarily put him in there. I'd probably put him at 14, but at 14, that's still immensely valuable. And then having a guy like Tyree Kill. Um, in the event that he does get six eight, six games six, uh, to eight games, uh, then even as early as this year, he could finish in the top 24. And you know every year after that that you still have a top 12 receiver. So uh, the team with the receiver depth and me not having to go out and, and worry about uh, picking a rookie receiver and maybe getting stuck with a guy like uh, Laquan Treadwell or a guy that you know gets massive volume like Corey Davis and now finds himself uh, surrounded by a vast array of weapons that weren't necessarily there before so now we're worried about him um that that really makes me uh, a little bit more happy with this team than than some of my others matt what about you your favorite team of the four i don't really like any of them <laughs> i don't either <laughs> i mean that my least favorite was the one i waited until the fourth round to take a running back and i did that on purpose because it's not the way I think. I took Thomas, Kittle. I do like the Kittle pick. A.J. Green, then Miles Sanders. Uh, I'm going to have a hard time fielding respectable running backs there, even if Sanders surprises me this year. So that was my least favorite. And then the other three are kind of tied, and I'd give them all kind of a B-. minus. None of them are making me jump up and down. I would have been very active trading. 
I have uh, I have two of my four that I ended up uh, liking quite a bit. The, the first team that started with Christian McCaffrey, I followed that up with Keenan Allen, Le'Veon Bell. Uh, we've seen uh, Le'Veon Bell actually has a first-round ADP right now, according to DLF, which I think is uh, probably not totally accurate or representative of what you might uh, what you might see in a startup draft. Uh, but uh, anyway, McCaffrey, Allen, Bell, Cooper Cup, and that's the team where I uh, took Mahomes as well. So really like the balance of that and feel like uh, uh, as uh, I feel like I got a steal with Bell. But the team just kind of from my heart that that I love is that wide receiver heavy team. I took five straight wide receivers including two of my favorites. I took Juju and Amari Cooper to start it off, and then DJ Moore and Chris Godwin that we spent some time talking about and finished that up in the fifth round with A.J. Brown, the Titans' number one wide receiver. So I um, I really <laughs> like that wide receiver team and, and would obviously have to figure out the running back position pretty quickly. Uh, there There's a few guys left. If you look at the best players available that we did not take, uh, Sony Michelle, of course, we've talked about quite a bit on here. We expect to see his ADP falling. Devontae Freeman, uh, some quarterbacks, Watson, Luck, Mayfield, along with guys like Landry and Julian Edelman. Uh, Aton, great discussion with you today. Really loved having you on. Really good insight. Tell our listeners where they can find your work. Yeah, again, thank you for having me on. Um, Listeners, you can actually find me at the Dynasty Diagnostic Podcast. Uh, we're currently on the uh, Dynasty Trade Calculator feed, so that's where you'd be able to listen to the podcast. Uh, you can also find all of my written work at Fantrax HQ. Uh, just go ahead and click on that Dynasty button, and chances are, if it's Dynasty, it was written by me. And uh, and that's that's pretty much the extent of where I'm at these days. Good stuff. All right. Thanks for listening. We'll be back next time with more Dynasty Blueprints.